What's up, podcast? Hope everybody's staying safe. I'm super excited to share my interview with John Moses for the Sport Profile. He's a play-by-play announcer for the Trenton Thunder and many, many, many more teams. So I hope you all enjoy it, and please continue to stay safe. What's going on, everybody? Dylan Manfrey on hand for the Sport Profile. I'm so excited to be joined by John Moses, a good friend of mine, a rider professor, and the and the uh, play-by-play announcer for rider women's basketball at Princeton women's basketball, Trenton, the Trenton Thunder, the list goes on and on. How are you holding up through all this? Um, I am surviving. Every day is the same and, you know, it's all staying inside and avoiding other human beings. It's a weird time. Does it feel like, you know, I've been asking this to, you know, some of the other people, but does it feel like you should be somewhere else, you know, and not oh, in your yeah. home right now? I mean, I should... Oh my God, like I should be at Arm and Hammer Park right now, like finishing off lunch and getting ready for another home game. What's today, Thursday the 7th? Yeah. Um, yeah, I think we'd be starting a homestand. We'd, we'd be starting a four-gamer this weekend. So you'd be place. starting a four-game um, homestand and you're in your, you're like in your living room, your kitchen, wherever. Yeah, you know, it's funny. Like I was, uh, I was texting with my boss on Sunday afternoon. It was very nice out. Um mm-hmm. And I was, you know, just sort of daydreaming about doing a game at four o'clock in the afternoon. You know, the sun was out and, you know, I was just sitting in my living room looking out the window. Um, and, you know, we exchanged messages and he was like, yeah, beautiful day for a game. Shame we would have been on the road. And I'm like, well, it would have been an eerie. I'd have been looking at like a three hour bus ride to Akron tonight. Like, <laughs> hey, mm, you know, whatever. Yeah. yeah Wouldn't be weird. Yeah. You know, but now. I'm, I mean, would you take that bus ride over being here right now? Oh, 100%. I mean, I would, I would much rather be doing a game than doing anything else. Like, yeah. I have spent my entire professional life building, you know, a schedule in which I do 200 events a year out of 365 days. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it is very weird to not be on a microphone since March 5th for me, which would have been the Rider Women's Senior Day. Really? Wow. Were you at the MAC tournament at all in Atlantic City or no? Uh, no, I was not. Um, but, uh, you know, I'm pretty close with Daryl Fine, who does the, the Ryan yeah. Men, and he was down there doing a game. I think he did the first game that day. Um, yeah, I believe so. Before they shut it all down. Yeah, I was there um, for the final game where they had shut it all down, too. And it was just so – just the atmosphere was all so weird. So I'm wondering, like, what was your reaction, you know, when you're seeing all of these, you know, leagues cancel, like, at what point did you think that your season was going to be in jeopardy for the Trenton Thunder? Um, Certainly far before minor league baseball announced that the season would start in a delay, which I think was March 12th or 13th, would have been the day after Rudy Gobert tested positive. Yeah. Um, You know, I, you know, I follow a lot of different people on Twitter and, you know, these stories about the coronavirus had just sort of been on the radar for more than a month at that point. Um, And, you know, I wouldn't say that there was a specific day where I was like, oh yeah, the season's not going to happen. But, you know, the Center for Disease Control sent out guidance that said, you know, we recommend no gatherings over, you know, 500 people or whatever it is. Um, and I was like, well, how in the world are you going to have a minor league baseball game then, you know, between both the teams and the support staff, you know, that's like a hundred people or 50, you know, 75 ish people itself. right there. 
yeah. Um, and then you start talking about like grounds crew and staff to, you know, secure the games and ushers and then fans. I mean, forget it. Like, yeah, uh, this wasn't, it, it was not in the cards for a little until that, you know, it just, until, you know, the NBA made their suspension, you know, until Rudy Gobert tested positive. I mean, I think we're going to look back on that moment years from now and say, you know, Rudy Gobert probably saved a lot of lives by, you know, testing positive for this virus. I mean, as sad as it is, and I'm glad he recovered and other members of the NBA teams that sure. were involved, like, did, you know, didn't test positive. Um, you know, the, this could have continued to spread unknowingly at sporting events for weeks until an athlete tested positive. Yeah. So, you know, what was, what was your initial reaction? Like when your season was canceled, I mean, it doesn't sound like you were surprised. Yeah. Um, I had a sense of inevitability um, that it was coming, mm -hmm. um, you know, that in some way, the you know, whether they cancel the first two months of the season, you know, restart us in June or July, and then maybe they add some games in September. Um, I had a sense it was, I just had a feeling that it was coming. Um, but of course it was disappointing. Um, you know, uh, you know, I'm a member of the full-time staff for the Thunder and, you know, you know, we bust our humps from October 1st until March 25th or March 30th, you know, until opening day to make sure that everything's in place, you know, and we had really put in a lot of great effort throughout this off season and we achieved some goals and we were on track to achieve some others. And, you know, it, it there was just this momentary dread of all of this work that we put in over the last couple of months, you know, would, would not come to fruition. That was like really disappointing. And I think, you know, affected all of us for a couple of days there. Um, and still, you know, I, I feel that disappointment today. You know, yeah. not two months later. Yeah. Do you know anybody who has had the virus or has, you know, recovered, um, you know, from it? How how close to home has it hit for you, if you don't mind me asking? Um, very, yeah, pretty close. Um, you know, I've got a lot of family in New York, Westchester, and out on nice. Long Island, um, you know, where, the where some of the first major outbreaks were. Um, I have a cousin on my dad's side who was um, in the hospital. Oh, uh, wow on Long Island with the virus. He was on a ventilator. Uh, he did about 11 days in the hospital, about four days on the ventilator. And, you know, the things that I read say that, you know, overwhelmingly yeah. people that go onto, <clears throat> onto ventilators, you know, don't come back. Um, and this was before I, I sort of was aware of that. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, a cousin of mine, um, you know, had it for a little while and, you know, has recovered and I'm thrilled Good. for that. And then I have, yeah other cousins in, in Westchester, New York, who, um, you know, were, you know, right near the initial outbreak, um, hmm. from the, uh, Orthodox synagogue in, in New Rochelle, New York. Um, yeah. and you know, at first I was reading about it and I had to double check myself, you know, is that my family's congregation? You know, I've been to their bar and bar mitzvah there. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that was like a pretty scary moment, you know, turned out one of my cousins, you know, who was really not feeling well when this was all happening, turns out she has mono, um, okay. which, you know, <laughs> it's you not know COVID, is, but <laughs> still, you know, still sort of a hard, a hard of thing course, to deal with. Of course. Um, and it's funny because I talked to her recently and she said, you know, I would have, she's studying to be a physical therapist and she said, I would have really? had to withdraw from school. I wouldn't have been able to attend classes and. You know, she's like, now I can just do everything remote because everybody's remote. And, 
yeah. you know, I have to be home for two, three months to recover from this anyway. And everybody's home. Like my parents are working from home. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I, I think I'm fortunate that I, I don't know anybody that's passed. Um, yeah. I hope I don't. That. So how have you been, I guess, utilizing your time, you know, since you're not at the ballpark, you know, getting ready for that four game homestand, you told me earlier, how have you been utilizing your time? Um, I've been reading a lot more, um, which is something that I've tried to bring more into my life or back into my life um, in the last two, three years. Um, so I just finished Phil Knight's book, Shoe Dog, um, which was a trip through the origins of Nike, which mm -hmm. I found really interesting. I thought it was very well written. Um, it's also given me a chance to go back and, and watch games again from this yeah. past academic year. Um, basketball games, um, you know, creating a new demo. I mean, it's still an opportunity to network with people and, and reach out to people. And, you know, we're all in the same boat, you know, hope you're doing well. It's, it's sort of a nice and easy icebreaker to, yeah. um, you know, talk to people that you might not normally. Um, and, uh, you know, between, you know, so I've, I've tried to segment some time each day to do some broadcast work, some reading, um, you know, watching some good television shows. I just finished the new season of Westworld, um, okay. which I thought was pretty entertaining. Um, but you know, it's hard. It's not. Uh, it's not easy waking up the same day with no, every day with nowhere to go. Yeah, I know. It's. It's definitely. Uh, you feel like, what's the word? Like maybe they're just like, pigeonholed into your into your house or you know your space or whatever it may be. So, talk about like how I guess you got your start into you know, play by play and broadcasting. What, what really makes, what about it really makes you tick? Um, you know, I wanted to keep playing sports when I finished high school. Um, mm -hmm. I went to the university of New Haven, which I was attracted to their management of sports industries program. Um, I liked that it was housed in the business school. So it sort of gave you some, it, it sort of gave me a background in how a sports business runs. Sure. Um, another area I was sort of always interested in, um, you know, right before classes started my freshman year, I had reached out to the baseball coach and said, you know, I'd love a chance to, to meet you and, and just sort of pick your brain about things. And, you know, I said to him, you know, is there, is there a path for me to, to walk onto the team? You know, there are divisions too. And, you know, I didn't have any expectation. He was like, yeah, you know, we actually do have three or four preferred walk-ons coming on this fall. You know, and he's like, that's not the case every year. Um, but look, if you want to come to practice and if you want to, you know, sit on a bucket and, and soak some knowledge and just sort of hang around, you know, we're, we're open to that. And, you know, I did that for a little while. Um, but, you know, I was also sort of feeding emails from, you know, cause when you show up on campus as a new student, all of a sudden you're getting emails from every club, yeah. every department on campus that wants students to be involved with things. Yep. Um, but lo and behold, one came from athletics looking for public address announcers. Um, and I walked into the office, this would have been my second week on campus, met the sports information director. Um, and the, the athletics offices at the time at New Haven didn't have, you know, full office walls, you know, they were just, you know, essentially tall cubicles that, you know, went, you know, as if it was, a, but you could like hear conversations in neighboring offices. Yeah. Too. Um, and I was talking away with Andy Beardsley, the SID for probably 20 minutes or so. And some, you know, his, his office neighbor shouted over the wall, Andy, sign him up. He's the guy. Give him the PA job for volleyball. Really? <laughs> yeah. 
Um, so I ended up that, that fall way? doing a lot of public events. Yeah, I mean, you know, from from an athletic department perspective, student work is is great. You know, you get hands-on experience. You know, you you don't have to pay a professional to be the public address announcer and um, you know, it was it was a great situation. Um, New Haven women's volleyball was like really, really good. And to this day, they still are. Yeah. Um, just joined a new conference, the Northeast 10, and they didn't lose a set at home all season. Every game really? was like an hour. <laughs> what, what season was that? This would have been the fall of 2008. Um, and in my four years there, I ended up doing public address um, for volleyball, home basketball games, and then lacrosse, a little bit of soccer, um, and they hosted the NCAA tournament, the NCAA regional twice. They hosted the NE10 tournament, I think three out of the four years that I was there. Um, I actually went back at the year after I graduated and did public address for the regional they hosted the next year. Really? Uh, yeah. So I was doing a lot of public address and I'd never really watched volleyball before. So it was a great education to learn the game. Um, Joy. Yeah, I mean, and then also during the fall of my freshman year, the RA in my building was the program director for the radio station. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, and he stopped That's me one day. He, was like, he, he, he just stopped me and he was like, you know, I've heard you talk in sports. You seem to know what you're talking about. Um, women's basketball has their home opener on Sunday and I need a color guy. Like, are you here? And I was like, yeah, sure. Okay. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, I did, I did his color for, I think, the first, maybe the first three or four home games that year. Um, and then I ended up doing public address the rest of the year. Mm. Um, and then that spring, the, I started to get involved more at the radio station. And they carried the games for baseball. And I did every game my freshman year. Um, so I, you know, I ended up a four-year experience at New Haven where I think I saw just about every home athletic event. Really? <laughs> Um, you know, I, yeah, you know, volleyball, I was at every home game, basketball, I was at every home game, except for maybe one or two over the years. And then right. my sophomore, junior and senior years, um, I traveled with, uh, men's and women's basketball oh, wow. to do radio. Uh, so it, it worked out really nicely, you know, in division two, they play a lot of double headers where both teams travel together on one bus and then they play one thirty, three thirty. Um, mm. Like during, you know, say the women play first, you know, the men will go and have their pregame meal and then they flip flop. Um, and yeah, so like, you know, I was doing games at Adelphi University and Pace and um, went up to Assumption, which I really loved that, you know, up in Springfield, Massachusetts. Yeah. Um, went up to Franklin Pierce once. We went to Lemoyne once on the overnight. That was cool up in Syracuse. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, yeah, that was, uh, that was, that was, a great experience. So, you know, I, I did a lot of games in college, basically just by being me. Um, yeah. Found my way. They found me. I found them. And it ended up being a great experience. How were you able to, I guess, learn so many new sports? I mean, you know, you know, like the, I'm sure like you do like the rules of like, you know, football, basketball, you know, et cetera. But like for some sports like volleyball, like, that you said you didn't have as much experience with, how were you able to, you know, I guess, consume the knowledge of the sports so you can sound intelligent while you're doing a broadcast? Yeah, um, you know, the, 
the interesting one about volleyball was that, you know, it's been a long-term tradition at the University of New Haven to have mm. an excellent volleyball team. Um, their athletic director at the time, Debbie Chin, was the longtime women's volleyball coach before she accepted the athletic director role. Yeah. Um, so they had been an outstanding program at the Division II level for years and years and years. And I remember pretty vividly fall of my freshman year, I think it would have been before the conference tournament that year that they ended up hosting. Um, Debbie Chin sat next to me for a match and I just sort of picked her brain and she was, you know, and she was asking me that she was asking me, you know, do you, do you want to keep doing this? Are you enjoying it? And I'm like, yeah, but what is that? Like, what does this rule mean? What does that mean? You know, how, yeah. What's the rotation pattern like? And, you know, why is this sub happen? Why can the libero just come on and off whenever? Um, you know, that was that was stuff that seemed very strange to me. You know, I'm used to some sports that you can sub on the fly, like lacrosse, yeah. you know, I, watched, I was familiar with growing up in the Philadelphia area. Mm -hmm. um, you know, soccer, you could sub, you know, but the game would stop. Basketball, the game stops when you sub. Yeah, um, but it was so strange to me that volleyball, the libero could just cycle on and off whenever it was to the team's advantage, which was very interesting to me. Is volleyball one of like maybe a sport that you have always had an interest in because it was the first one that you, I guess, started doing? Um, yeah, I mean, I I really didn't know volleyball at all before I got to college. Um, yeah, and then you know I watched four years of a team that may have lost three times at home over my wow. four years. Um, yeah, they, they were really good. And, you know, you get to know some of the athletes cause you know, I'm in classes with some of them. Yeah. Um, and you know, I was pretty excited when I got the opportunity at Princeton now four years ago um, to start to call volleyball for them because I missed it. You know, the game is fast. Um, you know, there is a remarkable amount of athleticism that goes into it. Um, you know, you, you really have to think quickly, you know, it's, it's, it's almost like a faster paced version of basketball because yeah. you know, players are moving so often and, you know, when you jump to, to swing and, and kill the ball down against your opponent, you know, you have to measure where your blockers are coming from and, you know, can you use that blocker hand to your advantage? Um, there's yeah. a lot of strategy not seen. I'm sure um, that, you know, I learned a lot about and, and still it's, it's entertaining to watch. It's very cool. I feel the same way, you know, about field hockey a little bit too. Like, you know, coming into college, like I didn't know anything about field hockey. My sister actually played at high in high school and I'm like, why are they stopping so much? <laughs> like they stop every two seconds. And, yeah. you know, when I get to college, okay, maybe the stoppage is a little less, but it's still like I just love field. I love covering field hockey because I think it was my first uh, sport that I had covered there. Yeah, um, field hockey is one that I that I sort of had some that I had some trouble with. Even to this day, I have trouble. Yeah, no, me too. Field hockey game. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I didn't I didn't play a ton of hockey when I was a kid. I mostly played baseball and basketball. Mm -hmm. um, and my struggle with hockey is that I struggle to watch it on TV. Um, you know, the game is so fast that it's really not made for television. So my interest sort of just migrated to baseball, basketball, and football more than mm -hmm. hockey. Um, you know, people say they're four for four fans, you know, but I'm sure, you know, I follow the flyers and, you know, I know some, the names of some players and that kind of thing, but yeah, you know, because I didn't have a, ba a, a good basis of knowledge about hockey in general, 
I, I, I really just had trouble getting into field hockey, even though I've called a handful of games over the years. Sure. Yeah, no, I definitely understand that. Um, <clears throat> so now, you know, being at Princeton and, call, you know, calling games for the uh, Princeton women's basketball team and, you know, for Ryder, you've got to call now games for two WNBA players in Stella Johnson and Bella Allery. So what's it, what's that like, you know, knowing that these two individuals, you know, who you were calling games for have gone on to, you know, uh, the professional league? I mean, I will say watching the WNBA draft was pretty surreal seeing Allery go fifth overall. I yeah. Mean, for an Ivy League player, you know, that's, that's pretty amazing. Um, you know, the Ivy League has had very good basketball players come through over the years. Um, but I think you would struggle to identify somebody that would translate as well to the pro game like Bella. I mean, she's a six foot four two guard. That is insane. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, you know, from, from the first game that I watched Bella Allery, when I started to work into, into her background a little bit, it was clear that if she wanted it, that she could be a professional basketball player. Um, you know, her father, Mark Allery, was an NBA draft pick in the late 1980s. He scored 2,200 points at Duke. I mean, the guy was an excellent basketball player in his yeah. day. Um, and then, you know, it's, it's his daughter. So, sure, um, the, the, she'll put it together. Yeah. Um, you know, with Stella, she obviously came into a, a program where the team was on the rise anyway. Um, you know, her freshman year – she was not looked at as a star, you know, I, yeah, I'm sure no. you've covered the story a little bit that she's not, you know, she was, she was not recruited by a ton of division one programs. You no, know, Ryder was sort of the only one. Yeah. Um, so she built herself into a professional basketball player over four years. Um, yeah. It was clear from day one that she'd be a, a very good defensive player and she contributed to the team that way. Um, but then, you know, during her sophomore year, once once Robin Perkins went down with that with that foot injury late in the year, um, you know, it felt like Stella needed to do more offensively. And then at the time, she may not have had as many tools in her tool bag or on her belt as as she needed to be a number a leading scorer for a team that was competing for the top of the league. Um, but you know, by the end of her junior year, it was like insane and then obviously this you know her senior season was amazing um yeah you know, that was that was clear you know she 40 points a couple times early in the year <laughs> yeah um you know it it definitely it de I was definitely thinking about that you know the first game of this past year was Ryder at Princeton and yeah. you know <laughs> actually selfishly from the podcast other. perspective I'm like hey this is awesome I get to prep for both teams that I'm calling all year for game one this is amazing <laughs> yeah that's a great one and then you know at the same time you're looking at it and you're like wow Stella Johnson has really improved and yeah you know, Princeton had an amazing year and probably should have been undefeated that loss at Iowa you know <sighs> mm. tough one for them but um sure. Yeah, like it, it was a pretty amazing experience. And, you know, those are two players that I will always say are two of the best women's players I've seen play in person. Do you have any like, you know, favorite games that you have called of theirs? You know, whether it be like, you know, a big performance that either of them had um, or just like one of your favorite games? Um, well, there's two that come to mind this year for Stella. Um, the first one would be the win over Niagara, which was early in the year at home or early in the conference year at home. Um, 
they just, you know, the, the team didn't really have a great energy about them. Niagara was playing well. Yeah. Um, they, they played from behind for most of that game. And then the fourth quarter, Stella just sort of put on her backpack and was like, I got this, guys. And, you know, carried them to a win down the stretch. Um, yeah, I even remember though that one. McIntyre for Niagara was like throwing in threes from half oh, court. It was, that was a pretty yeah. incredible game. Uh, <clears throat> and, you know, the other one was definitely the win over Manhattan um at home where you know Stella hits the hard step back crossover for three and she hits a deep three earlier in the sequence I mean those two games for for Stella Johnson I think really um really have stuck with me um for Bella Allery it's probably it's probably some of those games in the Ivy League tournament um her sophomore year um you know she was the best player on the court when it was clear that when Penn had the player of the year and they were playing on their home court. Um, you know, Allery had like an eight block game at some point. Wow. Uh, you know, just the, the, yeah, right. You know, the, the accolades that she, and you know, the, the individual performances that she put together over four years were just insane. Um, you know, there were, there were some games where it was very clear that, whenever Princeton stepped on the floor, that they were the better team, even if they played, you know, six through 12 in their rotation for the whole game, that they'd still be the better team. Um, but, you know, they never approached a game that way. And I think that comes from, you know, the way that Allery approaches herself, you know, her, her game, you know, she never lets an opponent, you know, do what they want, you know, her, yeah. her length affects everything. Um, and she's, you know, such a remarkable scorer. She set the Ivy League record, I think, 45 points in a game at Columbia. Um, and I was, you know, texting with Princeton Sports Information Contact uh, throughout that game, just saying, like, are they ever going to double team? <laughs> what are they <laughs> doing? <laughs> yeah. Uh, you had a couple games like that where she was putting up 35, 40 points. And wow. Amazing. Wow. So you talked about, you know, how you like how, you know, Bella approaches her game. So how – how do you approach like your broadcast? Like what do you want people to, um, I guess, walk away with when, you know, they're listening to you call a game? Um, I want people to come away with something they don't know before, um, you know, for say Princeton women's basketball, you know, I think a lot of the audience for many of the games that I call, you know, really, whether it's Princeton Ryder or Trent Thunder, um, a lot of the audiences interested parties, right? People that have family or friends that are playing in the game or are connected to the game somehow. Sure. Uh, so, you know, I spend a lot of my time trying to find stories about players, about coaches, about the game that, you know, are not well known or, um, you know, that our audience may not be familiar with. Um, I also want them to come away with a smile. I mean, you know, at the end yeah. of the day, we're watching sports, but we've got to have some fun. Um, of course. You know, it's a lot easier during a baseball season to sort of get off topic and have a funny conversation with your partner um, than it is for a basketball season where there's 30 games in all and, you know, the games are two hours, two and a half hours at most. You yeah. know, the average baseball game is two hours and 45 minutes, and you got to find a way to keep an audience entertained that whole time. Yeah. Um, so I would say those are the two main things, something that you don't know and a smile at some point or Definitely. a laugh. Sure. What's something that I guess not many people would know about you, um, you know, given that, you know, you're at all these games, you know, what are some of the things you like to do aside from, you know, calling games? 
Um, good question. Um, I have a twin brother. That's that's unique. Really? It's definitely something <laughs> I didn't know. Um, yeah, he, he is not like me. We don't. We are not identical. We're fraternal. Okay. Uh, he is an artist. He was an architecture major at Temple. He does a lot of like spatial planning and audiovisual technology work. Um, he is a lot more talent. Like he is a lot more talented than I am in some things. Um, for example, for his birthday this year, he asked for a sewing machine before really? a global pandemic was hitting the United States. And now he is sewing masks for everybody in our family and like mailing really? them to my cousins. Wow. Is, <laughs> yeah. he like, is he like having like, you know, I don't want to say like his own business because I don't know if he's selling them, but you know, I mean, he's just having a bunch of fun like making masks. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, they're cloth masks, right? So, you know, it's yeah. not the, the N95 top of the line that, you know, healthcare providers desperately need. Mm -hmm. um, but it's the kind of thing that can still be effective for you and I, you know, when we That's go to the grocery store or when we go to CVS. Um, and, you know, he's always sort of had talents with his hands. I mean, he can draw, he can paint, he can write. I mean, um, you know, in college, he... he we would like spray paint together, you know, on, on big canvases, not on the side of buildings, don't worry. Um, and uh, yeah, like he, he's just always sort of had an artistic eye for things that I guess I never really had. I was always more focused on sports. Yeah. I mean, would you say you were, I guess, you know, for the time being, were you the athlete in the family? Um, I was definitely the most interested. Um, you know, my older brother played baseball through high school also, Okay. But, you know, we were, we're four years apart, so I don't know if he's a better player or not, because I guess I never really saw him play much. Yeah. Uh, you know, I was still in school when he was playing games. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I definitely played the most sports in growing up out of the three of us. And it's safe to say now I feel like you've watched the most sports, too. Oh, I, I think even at age 18, I watched the most sports <laughs> out <Yeah>. of all of us. <laughs> <laughs> so what's – what would say is like your best piece of advice for people wanting to go into, you know, this field of sports broadcasting? Um, it's to get reps, um, particularly at an early age. Um, you know, a lot of people when they're starting in their college journey, you know, they don't really know what they're interested in. And frankly, I didn't know what I was, I was interested in this either. Um, yeah. But I can tell you that you know, the couple hundred games I did baseball, basketball in, in college made a huge difference. Um, you know, that and, you know, sort of inviting, um, inviting a bigger network. Um, you know, you have to network when you do this. That's the only way you find jobs. Um, Definitely. Well, it's not the only, but it's the best way to find jobs before there's 400 applications for them. Yeah. Um, you know, so you have to be able to find somebody that's willing to mentor you a little bit, you know, give you a little bit of a, like, you know, so just as an example, you know, I work with Mark Zumoff, um, Sixers Television Voice, and, you know, I connected with him summer after my sophomore year of college. I was doing an internship with the 76ers, um, and we wandered off from our internship to Doug Collins' introductory press conference. Oh, wow. <laughs> and, and I introduced myself to Mark um, and told him about some of the broadcasting stuff I'd been doing. And he was like, you know, I actually have um, a consultancy where, you know, I help young announcers get their start. Um, and 
Yeah, uh, he's been an, he's been a mentor for me for years now, um, where he sort of get, gave me the lay of the land. He gave me some strategies of how to network with people, um, how to you know sort of present a demo the right way, how to write a resume, how to um, blindly reach out to people to to build my network and just say, hey, I am. This per I am John Moses. I've been doing games at the University of New Haven. I'm interested in pursuing a career in broadcasting. Would love a chance for me to send you some of my material and talk to you on the phone for about 10 or 15 minutes and I can ask you on your path. And then, you know, on that call or toward the end, you ask for who are some people that is there anybody else that I can talk to that you wouldn't mind putting me in touch with that I can continue to network with and grow through them. Um, so you have to be able to take constructive criticism, you have to network, and you have to do as many games as possible because you're not going to figure out if you're any good until you've done a couple hundred games. Definitely, definitely. I was, it's funny you mentioned that. I was going to ask, like, you know, who your, who your mentors are. So, you know, so are you still close with him, you know, to this day? Yeah, yeah. Um, I still send him stuff on a regular basis and, you know, ask for his feedback, any notes that he sees. Um, even after like, all your experience that you've, you know, you've had and, you know, all the accomplishments that you've done, you're still looking for feedback, you know, on, you know, your, your broadcasts. Well, of course. I mean, you know, what I, I, and I think, you know, to this day there, you know, there are broadcasters who are working for CBS or high level stuff at ESPN or Fox sports um, that still get feedback on their work and you know it may not be from a direct mentor right like at a certain point maybe you grow out of somebody that you were a mentor a mentee of at 21 years old yeah um, but you know there are people that do this for a living professionally you know there there are agencies that only represent broadcasters or have a specialty in it and you know they have talent coaches who will you know accept your materials and then go through it and then uh, discuss it with you about ways they can get better. I mean, you ask any broadcaster and they'll say, I'm not perfect. <laughs> of <course. laughs> None of us. Are. Of course. Uh, there's always a way to be better. There's always something else that the audience wants that you can do better than you did last year. Of course. Of course. What's something you think you can work on, you know, with your, with your own broadcasts now that you mentioned that? Um, I think when it comes to baseball, it is um, sort of completing stories. Um, okay. You know, I think over the years, you know, obviously doing baseball on radio is a little bit different than doing basketball on television, which is what I'm doing at Princeton and Ryder. Yeah. Uh, you know, in addition to, like I, like, I think I have a pretty good handle on telling you who they are, what's important about them, where the ball is on the field during action. Um, but I think for me, a continued improvement is weaving that story through the presentation of the play-by-play -play and then getting it to a logical end point um, and not letting the game dictate whether or not I finish the story. Yeah. Um, because, you know, if I start to tell you about, you know, you know, Jake Cave's high school baseball experience, but I don't tell you that at the end of the story, um, you know, it helped lead to him getting drafted by the Yankees in the eighth round. Um, mm -hmm. Then you you sort of feel like you're you're missing something. Um, yeah. As a member of the audience. Um, yeah. So just like completing that picture. 
Yeah, you know, there's 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 multiple pieces that you have to pull from for every inning, right? Like you you ideally want to show some interaction with your partner, be solid on time and score, um, you know, nail the action or the highlight, um, you know, make sure that you're telling a story about somebody and, and doing so in a way that's digestible. Um, you know, and, and I think I could probably also, you know, also in a baseball perspective, probably also do a better job of um, discussing some of the analytics that are helping drive decisions in minor league baseball now. Yeah. Uh, you know, major league teams are not looking at batting average and slugging percentage to make a decision on whether or not a player is worthy of a promotion or is playing well at a certain level. They have, you know, data that tells you how hard the guy is hitting the ball on a regular basis, average, exit velocity, you know, what's their swing path like, you know, what is the, um, what is the spin rate on their fastball or curveball? Why is that important? You know, these yeah. are all things that baseball fans are, you know, sort of getting hit with in all directions, but they don't necessarily know what it all means and how it sort of fits into the apparatus of moving players up and down and whether a player is good or not. Um, so I, I think from a baseball perspective, that's still an area that I can improve. Yeah. So I guess my last question would be, you know, broadcasters have so much to prepare for. You see, I guess, the, you know, the stereotypical like manila folder with like, which is covered on every single side. Um, what really goes into your preparation and do you feel what, at what point do you think, or, or I guess my question would be like, at what point are you comfortable with the preparation that you've done that you, that you can then say, Hey, I'm good enough to go into this game fully prepared. You know, um, it's an interesting question because there are days where I never feel prepared and then feel like I call a very good game. Okay. Um, and then there are days where I feel like I do zero prep and it comes out really good. Um, okay. So it's, it's sort of a strange catch 22. Um, my broadcast partner for the first four years in Trenton was, this, was Adam Giardino. And he put it really nicely. He said, it's like studying for a three hour exam every night, but you don't cool. know what's going to be on the test. You know, you know, you essentially, as a baseball announcer, you have to prepare as if the game is going to, you know, the game could be decided 10 nothing in the third inning, and you still need to keep an audience entertained. So if you spend your time preparing, you know, stats and left-right splits and runners in scoring position data to use during the game – all that's out the window. If the game's decided in the third inning, you know, it's the human yeah, interest. Yeah, you're right. Keep a, uh, an audience entertained and keep them interested. Um, so it's strange, you know, there is definitely a point in the baseball season where I am only preparing for the other teams. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I, it's somewhere in the game 40 to 60 range where I feel like I have a pretty good handle on who the players for the Trenton Thunder are, who the coaches are, what their backstories are. Um, you know, I, I may tell a story about a guy on April 13th, but that doesn't preclude me from telling that story again on June 7th. Um, sure. So, you know, a, a lot of our players, you know, for the most part, hang in for a lot of the year. Um, you know, the Thunder's roster changes every couple of days. So I'm sort of mm -hmm. always on my toes, you know, with two or three new guys coming every week. Um, but, 
you know, I, I, I definitely do have a sense that at some point during the season, I am only preparing for who's on the other side, who's in the other uniform. Yeah. Even though I'm still doing daily game notes and I'm still trying to, you know, still doing a pregame interview to, you know, still get stories out of our guys. Absolutely. uh, A lot of the, a lot of the actual research and questions that I have for other broadcasters or the other coaches um, is about the other team more than it's about ours. Yeah. And I mean, it makes sense because you are, you know, around them so much, you are knowledgeable of them and, you know, you, you get a feel for, you know, who they are over the course of the year. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I'm on the bus with them. Yeah. I, you know, I've, I've watched the same guys play every day, you know, 10 out of 13 days, 10 out of 12 days or something like that. When you watch the same team every day, you know, some of the information, some of the things become second nature. Like when we're doing the playoffs last year, um, I didn't even have to write in some of the season stats for Chris Gittins or Kyle Holder because they've been there all year. And I, knew who they were. I knew how they hit during the regular season. Um, you know, that's information that's still interesting to the audience because they want to know how did we get to this point. Um, but, uh, you know, you still, you know, some of this stuff just comes second nature. You know? Yeah. So with, you know, the Trenton Thunder, there's always new players coming in. Is there a favorite rehab assignment, you know, that the Yankees have sent down to Trenton? that, you know, you thought was really cool? Um, Alex Rodriguez was really cool. Yeah. Uh, Joy. Well, there's actually two. Um, and I guess I'll start with the Chase Utley story because Chase Utley was my favorite player growing up. And really? like still to this day. Oh, my God, yeah. The guy, the, the way he played the game, short, smooth swing, like never, like always poised, like never said a bad word. Mm. Uh, so 2015, this would have been early August, um, you know, Utley's making his way back from an injury. And, you know, obviously things have been floating. You know, it's the end of the Phillies dynasty, right? You know, uh, Ryan Howard was hurt. Uh, Jimmy Rollins had gone. Um, Utley was sort of like a last man standing of sorts. Okay. Um, and he was coming back from injury. And we got the word mm, late morning that he was going to play that night. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and when we have a rehab it's like all hands on deck. It's like a pretty crazy couple hours. Um, sure. Wanted somebody of that magnitude. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, yeah, I, I had to set up a press conference room. I was fielding calls and emails from Philadelphia media all day saying, Hey, we're sending this photographer. We're sending this writer. We're sending this writer. Um, you know, so I had to assign seats in our press box. I had to sort of um, do a lot of the prep stuff. And, you know, I was fortunate, you know, I had, you know, I had some support from other people on our staff. Like we all, you know, we all took our game up a notch because, it's gonna be a lot of individual tickets to sell. So yeah. A lot of um, and by about two o'clock or so, everything was in place, you know, conference room was set up. Um, and Reading's radio announcer had driven himself to the game from Reading. You know, they were just coming from home. It's about an hour. Um, he drove himself, um, you know, the Mickey Morandini, who was a coach for them that year, drove by himself, uh, their trainer, you know, there was, there was maybe like four guys or five guys in the Reading clubhouse, uh, you know, um, their trainer, Destin Hood, who was an outfielder for them, Morandini, and then maybe, maybe one or two other people um, were around. So three o'clock, Utley just shows up. He drove himself from Philadelphia, you know, he didn't know, he didn't, 
he just walked into the front office. There was nobody at the front desk, and he just walked to the front office, starts introducing himself to Trenton Thunder front office members. Like, oh wow, where where do I where do I go? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you know, eventually we we got him, you know, <laughs> to park in the right garage. You know, we got him to the clubhouse. He's getting his gear unpacked, and you know, three thirty, four o'clock, four thirty. Redding's team bus hasn't shown up. Oh wow, so he's just there. He's just there, right? You know, there's three or four other guys in the clubhouse with him. And turns out there's, you know, a major car accident on the Pennsylvania Turnpike. Oh, wow. So the bus is stuck in this traffic. They're at a dead stop for like two and a half hours or three hours. And oh. they can't go anywhere. Um, and about five o'clock, I walked up to Mike Ventola, the Reddings radio announcer, and I was like, hey, are we going to have like a pregame media availability for Chase? You know, is he going to be up for that? Um, and he's like, let's go ask. Um, so we went down and he was like, yeah, you know, my preference would be just to talk after I come out and it's like, okay, cool. And then we hung out in the clubhouse and just sort of talked for like half an hour. Um, you know, it was Chase at his locker, uh, Destin Hood, Mickey Kozak, Mickey Morandini, Mike Ventola and me. And we're just sort of sitting around the clubhouse, just shooting the breeze, talking about, fantasy football and talking about, you know, Roman Quinn at the time was a real prospect for the Phillies and, mm -hmm. you know, Chase hadn't played with him. He didn't really know who he was, but, you know, Mordini was telling him about him. And, um, you know, I, I was, I was just blown away. It was, it was a half an hour of just hanging out with my favorite baseball player. Of all wow. Time. Um, wow. Yeah, it was, it was really actually sort of an amazing experience. I'm and sure. Yeah, he played two games, and it was awesome, you know, and he was super easy to deal with, super nice. Um, the other good rehab was 2016. Uh, this would have been around Memorial Day weekend. Um, same kind of deal. We got late word that Alex Rodriguez was going to rehab for us. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> my boss got a call from somebody in Yankees player development saying, hey, uh, A-Rod's going to be in your lineup tonight. And uh, they're the Yankees are tweeting it in five minutes. Oh, and we we're okay. all like, "Oh my god!" <laughs> and to be honest, the way I found out was on Twitter. <laughs> really? Yeah, you know, I was I was in another section of the ballpark from when my boss got the phone call. Oh, and yeah. We didn't connect with each other before I saw the tweet, <laughs> and I like ran into I like saw it and I like ran into his office. I was like, "Is this real?" And he's like. Yeah, I just got off the phone, but we're we're doing it. Let's go press conference. Let's go. Set it oh up. my god! Yeah, um, and that was just that was another amazing day. You know, it was a it was a half day in the front office. Um, you know, we had interns out. You know, placing pocket schedules with some of our partners and local businesses. And it's early enough in the year that our intern class hadn't been fully trained on everything that they do. Mm -hmm. um, and our box office manager calls them all and says, get back here as soon as possible. Wow. They did like an emergency 15 to 20 minute training on the ticket system. And um, Jared Diamond of the Wall Street Journal wrote a really great piece that day about sort of a day behind the scenes of a minor league baseball rehab um, where he really sat, Jared Diamond sat in the ticket office for a couple hours and just watched our interns and our ticket staff pick up the phone as people called for individual tickets, you know, oh my God. third bases they could to watch, to, to watch Alex Rodriguez play baseball. That's so um, funny. Yeah, that was, that was pretty amazing. And, you know, I, you know, whether it's fair to Alex or not, you know, I had heard 
that he was sort of prickly when it came to media and he wasn't sort of all that interested in being there. And, um, you know, it ended up being his last year with the Yankees. Mm-hmm. Um, and I could not have had a better experience with him. You know, he was extremely nice. I walked up to him and introduced myself when he was there. And, you know, the Yankees had sent a, a, a player, a, a public relations official down to, you know, handle media and that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, you know, just to give him a familiar face. Sure. Uh, and, uh, you know, he was extremely nice. He just introduced himself and I said, hey, like, you good to do, you know, pregame, like 530. You know, we've got some media here from New York. Obviously, our local guys don't want to be in on it. And he's like, yeah, okay, no problem. You know, I'm supposed to play seven innings tonight or I'm supposed to DH tonight and then play seven innings tomorrow. Like, he gave me the whole, like, he just gave me the whole rundown was, and was just super nice. I, I was awesome. blown away by it. He was so easy to deal with. That's awesome. Yeah. Didn't, um, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't Aaron Judge also um, rehab in uh, Trenton? Maybe, was it last year, maybe? or? Uh, we didn't have Judge on rehab. Uh, he was in AAA last year. But we had, a, I mean, so I've been in Trenton since 2014. And, you know, the 2015 opening day, Trenton Thunder, is like the most prospect-packed minor league baseball team you'll ever hear of in your life. Yeah. Uh, Mason Williams was the leadoff man, followed by Aaron Judge, and then Greg Bird, and then Gary Sanchez, and then yeah. Eric Chagaila, and then Dante Bichette Jr. with Luis Severino pitching. And it's just like, wow, how does that even happen? <laughs> you literally named, like, you know, a potential Yankees lineup or, you know, four right. guys of it. I, you know, it's funny because I've, like, thought about this over the uh, – you know, I get this question sometime, you know, what best team that you watched. And, and you know, the 2015 team, I mean – they were really good. Um, the problem was that everybody got promoted by July 4th. Yeah. <laughs> so the, the, the Thunder themselves sort of, um, you know, fell off a cliff and ended up finishing the year at 500. Um, but the 2017 Trenton Thunder, they won 92 games, which uh, tied the franchise record for most wins. And, you know, the opening day infield was Miguel Andujar at third base, Claver Torres at shortstop, Tyro Estrada at second, and Mike Ford at first base with wow. – Kyle Higashioka behind the plate and Billy McKinney in the outfield. Like, that's another really good team. <laughs> that, and that was their opening day roster, you said? Yeah, that was opening day in 2017. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's so, that's so crazy. But yeah. anyway, I really appreciate your time with this. It means the world to me. And I'm really looking forward to, you know, sharing your story. Yeah, I appreciate you, Dylan. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you all so much for listening to this interview. You can check out the full story online at thesportprofile.wordpress.com. Check out the video on YouTube. And thank you all so much for continuing to support the Sport Profile. It really, really, really means the world to me. Again, please stay safe. Continue to wash your hands, social distancing, the whole nine yards. And we will get through this together.